Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Adulting is Easy podcast. This is Lauren. I manage the Adulting is Easy blog and podcast, which can be found at realadultingiseasy.com. I'm joined today by wealth psychology expert Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, founder of KBK Wealth Connection and host of the Breaking Money Silence podcast. She's an internationally published author and speaker. Breaking Money Silence, How to Shatter Money Taboos, Talk More Openly About Finances, and Live a Richer Life is Kathleen's fifth book. Her mission is to empower women, couples, and families, and the advisors who serve them to shatter money taboos and communicate more effectively about financial matters. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, PBS NewsHour, Money Magazine, Today Magazine, Forbes, and CNBC. She's also been named one of nine amazing conference speakers um, in 2017 by uh, Investment News. And she serves as an adjunct faculty member of finance at Bentley University and Champlain College. As if that's not enough, when she's not working, she's an avid alpine skier who lives for the next powder day. In the off season, she enjoys mountain biking, kayaking, laughing with her friends. She lives with her husband and her cat in Avery in the Mad River Valley of Vermont. Thanks for being here, Kathleen. Thank you. It's fun to be here with you. I'm excited for our conversation. Me too. Um, As always, everyone, our goal for today is to make adulting a bit easier for our listeners by discussing a personal finance topic, since managing money is a big part of adulting. Today, Kathleen and I are going to discuss the importance of breaking money silence um, in negotiation and the psychology of our negotiation mindset, especially as it relates to women. So before we get into that, why don't you tell us a bit about why you're passionate about this topic? Sure. Breaking money silence is a topic that I've been passionate about for a while. I always um, had something to say and had an opinion and felt the need to speak up about taboo topics uh, my entire life. Um, But as an entrepreneur and somebody who has been adulting for a while, I became really passionate about the topic of breaking money silence on negotiating for women because I had been an under earner. I had started my own business many years ago and had been very unconsciously under earning for a while. I went through my own process of looking at my own money psychology and learning the skills uh, to negotiate better and became a successful entrepreneur. So I just want to share that information with people and hopefully save them some time and angst uh, so they can start earning what they're worth. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I'm so excited to learn more about this. Um, and I think our listeners are too. Um, so um, you said just now your own psychology. Is everyone's psychology different around negotiating? Yeah, that's a great question. We all have a money story. So the story we tell ourselves about money, and that relates to various aspects of our financial life. So that could be saving, spending, gifting, investing, and it also can involve negotiating and asking for money. And so we all have a unique mindset that impacts how we approach a conversation around negotiation, how we feel in that conversation while it's happening, and ultimately what the result is, because the more comfortable we are negotiating and the more confident we are in asking for our value, the better off we are and actually receiving it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So before we jump too far into negotiation, why don't you tell us a little bit about breaking money silence and the taboo of money 
why it's taboo and maybe are you seeing any trends also I'm curious about are more people talking about money than they used to? Yes, those are all good questions. Let me start, uh, Lauren, with the idea of what money silence is. Money silence, the way I define it, is that uncomfortable sense that many of us get when talking about money. It could involve dollars and cents, but often it, it goes deeper than that. It involves our feelings and our thoughts and our attitudes about money and about accumulating wealth and you know, asking for our worth. Uh, passing on wealth, whatever it might be. And so the money silence is really a problem. It's global, but in the US, about 44% of Americans would rather talk about death, dying. This is a little bit of an older study and politics. I don't know if that's true today, uh, than talk about money. And so that's really concerning that almost half of the people out there don't want to have these conversations. And so I started to look into why was that? Why was it such a taboo topic? And also uh, discovered that for women, it's often more complicated with about 61% of women uh, preferring to talk about their own death than talk about money with a friend. Jeez. And why do you think, why is it that way with women? I think it's higher with women. And again, this is a generalization, so it's not every single woman out there. But I think it's often higher for women because there is a double bind. You know, we are told on one hand, especially um, millennials and Gen Zs, to be financially empowered, to know about money, to be transparent, to not, you know, make sure your partner isn't the one who's controlling it. And then on the other hand, there's this quiet backlash for speaking up and asking for money, being profit motivated, being seen as bossy or aggressive if you really are trying to take care of yourself financially. There's even been one study that says that people, excuse me, women who are outwardly interested in their finances or breadwinners are actually seen as less feminine. So I think it's that conscious and unconscious gender bias that really puts a double bind for women when it comes to taking care of ourselves financially and talking openly and honestly about money. So why is money silence a problem? Why don't we just continue not talking about it? Oh, did you grow up in my Irish Catholic home? I, yeah, I'm Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) So basically money silence is a problem. Actually, it's a very good question. It's a problem because it has negative results. I mean, if we were all silent and we lived in a financially literate country, um, if the number one contributor to divorce was not financial conflict, if families, you know, at some point your listeners are going to accumulate wealth and pass down wealth to the next generation, or maybe they're inheriting some money um, from their parents or their grandparents, that isn't successfully done 60% of the times because families don't talk about money. So it's not the technical aspects that trip us up. It's really the conversations around finance that do. And so that's why it's a big problem. I also feel like for women in particular, it is the part of the gender wage gap that we have control over. There certainly needs to be systematic changes, but each and every one of us as individuals can look at our money psychology and figure out, hmm, why is this so hard for us to to talk about money, to ask for money, and to negotiate consistently uh, to take care of ourselves? 
Yeah, so the, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the gender wage gap. That's definitely something that I'm pretty passionate about. I don't know that I've ever been personally affected by it. Um, I've always, for example, worked in pretty small companies. So um, I, it's not like there was a such and such salesperson level two, right? And all of the level twos made different amounts or anything like that. So, um, but I have read a lot about it. And, I, and I'm also glad that you said negotiation is just a part of it. Um, because I don't think that's the only thing. Um, certainly there's, I think a sponsorship issue and mentorship and things like that. Um, but so what, what can we do then? How can we negotiate better? Well, I think you're, you're right that it's only part of it with the gender wage gap. And I think when I'm talking about negotiation today, you know, for some people who are listening, it may be around their salaries. It may be, you know, they've started their own firm and it's, you know, charging a fee for others. It could be, you know, negotiating with their bank to get a better interest rate or to uh, negotiate with their partner around something that relates to finances. So so we can think about it broadly. Um, but either way, I think the first step that everybody needs to take is to really look at what I call your negotiation mindset. So each and every one of us has a money mindset. That is a group of automatic thoughts and beliefs about how we should make, manage, and spend money. And so a subset of that is a negotiation mindset. So it is all the automatic thoughts, beliefs, and feelings we have when we are negotiating. And often we're not conscious of them, but they do impact how we negotiate, if we negotiate, and what it feels like to go through that process. So what are... What are some things that, what are some of the examples of those thoughts that might be people might be thinking as they're trying to negotiate? Sure. So I think one of the things that anybody out there can do is actually start to think about uh, what are the things that I think about a negotiation? The best way to do it is if you're in a negotiation, you know, debrief afterwards and write down every thought you had, you know, that maybe you didn't share with the other person to get those automatic thoughts, or you can answer a series of questions for yourself. Some of these questions might be, you know, what did my parents teach me about negotiating? What did my mom teach me? What did my dad, what did significant people in my life, caregivers teach me? about negotiation. You know, what has my experience with negotiation been and how has that impacted how I kind of approach it now? Um, you know, when I think of the word negotiating, what do I feel? And so a series of kind of these, these explorate, excuse me, a series of these questions that you ask yourself really just helps you think what automatically comes up. So anybody who was just listening, if something popped into your mind, that is probably your negotiation mindset. It's not you sitting and pondering those questions or the finishing those statements. It's really what automatically pops up. And I know for me, I didn't even know that this was true until a couple of years ago. One of the things that I had trouble with and I had to work through was the idea that if you are financially successful and you share that with the world as a woman, somehow that's greedy and that's unattractive. Now, that was pretty deep for me. And so in order to stand up on a keynote stage or to write books or to coach people on negotiation, and I work with a lot of large firms, I'm negotiating pretty big contracts all the time, you really have to get underneath that and change that mindset to be able to say, it's okay for me to be financially successful, to be a woman, and to let people know about it. 
So whatever it is for you, it's figuring out what that negotiation thought that's tripping you up is, and then working to reframe it so you feel better, and then ultimately your behavior follows. Okay, so that's helpful. So as I, I guess my first thought about negotiating is it's it's important. That's like the first thing I think. It's important. I can get more money. I should do it. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, I don't. I wouldn't. I don't really know how. Right? It's like okay, I can ask. You know, we've been doing a lot of negotiating, for example, with contractors. Right? People that have been working on our house. Yeah. Okay. If, can you do it for ten percent less? Then we'll go with you right now, or or whatever. But I guess I get uncomfortable because I feel like you. I need to have like a list of like tactics and things that I need to try. And if if I try it this way and they don't they don't go for it, then I have to have like a backup plan. And then I do this and then I do that. And you know, I think that's what I personally get wrapped around the axle um, for negotiation. So it's interesting. First of all, before I get to the skills that you're talking about, it's interesting that you have the thought that negotiating is important. Do you have any idea where that comes from, where you learned that, whether you observed that through somebody's behavior or you were taught that when you were younger? That's a good question. My family is into sayings, you know, Uh bird in the hand, two in the bush, those kind of things. Um, One that we would always say is nothing ventured, nothing gained. Okay. So it's probably that. It's like, what does it hurt to ask? I mean, even if you ask poorly, you could still ask, right? (laughs) But what I love about that is, of course, then you negotiate more because there's a part of you, and I understand you get tripped up and I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but there's a part of you that actually was raised from a very early age with the idea that it never hurts to ask. And so many people have been raised with, it is rude to ask. And so there are also strengths in our negotiation mindset that we can pull on. And that is one of your strengths that you never know what you're going to ask. And, you know, you never get a raise or you never get a discount unless you ask. So that frees you up. Now, what's interesting, and I'm going to ask a couple questions about this, is the idea that it's that you should have a plan A, a plan B, like you should have this really well thought out strategy before the negotiation conversation. Do you have a sense of where that comes from for you? It probably comes from being in sales because mm-hmm. I'm I'm in sales now. And it's not that I'm one of those always be closing salespeople or I have this these scripts that I use. And if they say this, then I do this. And if they say no, then I try to get them to say no three times before I really listen. It's nothing like that. It's just that there are, I think, the there's right ways to handle conversations. Almost every conversation, whether that be an initial call that I have with a client or further on when we're negotiating contracts or pricing or talking about things like that or you know, doing what we call trial closes. Um, and I think just in every situation, there's a way to handle a conversation. There's a way to deliver good news. There's a way to deliver bad news, things like that. So I feel like maybe I'm a perfectionist. I want to get it right. There's, I feel like there's a right way to do it and I need to know what that is. Okay. And and I'm sure you're not alone. And the fact that you're in sales and you just mentioned a lot of the techniques that people are trained in sales, and, and I'm glad that's not necessarily your approach. I approach it from how do you have a meaningful conversation with somebody where you get to express what you need and you get to listen to what they need. And often we have been brainwashed in our culture that a negotiation is a battle and we should win it and we should have 
you know, all our ducks in a row. And I'm not saying preparation isn't important. I actually am a big proponent of preparation. Um, but once you identify kind of your negotiation mindset and maybe the psychology behind what makes you good or challenged in certain negotiation conversations, then it's really looking at doing your research. You know, if you are going to negotiate something, say it is your your salary. You should know what typically people are paid for your work or your value to the, your firm. If you're going to negotiate with a contractor or uh, put out bids for a contractor for a construction job, you should have a sense of what those numbers are. So there's the psychology and then there's also the research around the numbers. So you want to go in with some information. You also want to go into the conversation, I think, with a healthy dose of curiosity. And so curiosity means in that conversation, at least the initial negotiation conversation, it's really getting curious about where that other person is coming from. What is important to him or her? Who do they have to answer to? Is it somebody above them that they have to look good or justify something for? And how, you know, how can you and what you have to offer meet their needs? And so then having a conversation around that. Now, with that said, we can certainly get into some of the phrases that I use, some of the things that open up the dialogue, but I really think it's your psychology, then it's doing your research and, you know, numbers do matter. So just, you don't even have to mention the numbers, but knowing them is going to give you confidence and, and give you a starting point. And then also being really curious about how do I make this negotiation a way in which I'm winning in quotes by getting some of what I want and the other person's winning too, because it's really best if you both walk away and think, ah, oh, that was awesome. You know, with a contractor, it would be, oh, I got a client. And with the client, it would be, ah, oh, I got 10% off. That's awesome. So that's right. what a successful negotiation in my viewpoint looks like. So I have two follow-up questions to that or maybe points. One is, I think sometimes when people, even if they're curious and they start trying to put themselves in the other person's shoes and show empathy and all of those things, I think that can lead to making assumptions about what the other person wants. So for example, if you're going to buy a home, right? And the home's listed for 250, you may have this anchor in your head that's arbitrary that may not be there that they want 240 for it. Maybe that's not the case, right? So that's what I wonder if some people do in these situations. And then also, if we could touch on speaking of starting points, how do you not anchor yourself to what you made before? And how do you keep the person you're negotiating with from anchoring to that as well? Well, the first and anchoring, as you know, and I think you covered this in a previous podcast, is certainly a behavioral finance term where somebody throws out a number or you have a number in your mind and that's your starting point. And somehow it really frames it as it's from that number up or from that number down, depending on the situation. So with the anchor around you know, buying a house, one of the things that I do is I, you know, will ask the realtor or if I'm buying directly, I would ask, you know, is this the best price you can offer me? Is there anything else you can do for me? Boy, I love this house, but I think X, Y, and Z. And so my, I'm thinking more this range. What do you mm -hmm. think? So it's yeah. really testing out the anchor that you have by asking curious questions of the other person. They may not answer. I mean, you know, especially in real estate, it can get really complicated. They may not answer, but 
you have at least asked the question. And sometimes it's really surprising. People do answer and give that information. And that can be really, really useful. Mm -hmm. So that's the anchor around kind of real estate. I think in terms of anchoring yourself on a job, you know, again, if you are in the same profession and you are moving up in terms of your career, then I don't think it's a bad thing to anchor yourself in a certain number and and say, I want a percentage more. I mean, you don't have to say that to them, but my value increases every year. Um, The more books I write, the more keynotes I do, the more countries I speak in. So of course your value is going up. And so it's entering the conversation in that sense of knowing what is the value of a as a professional that I'm providing. What do people like me get and what's going to feel good enough to me? Now, I don't always get exactly what I ask for and I don't think that's realistic, but often what you will get if you don't get the numbers, you can negotiate something else. So maybe a yeah. day off, a working from home situation, you know, when we're not in this current situation. And so, you know, that's if you have a straight line career path, it gets a little bit dicier if you are transferring careers and I am an entrepreneur. So this is my third career. I'm sticking with this one, by the way. And, (laughs) uh, you know, when you are transferring skills, it becomes a little bit more complicated. So that's where the research goes. You know, for instance, I'll use myself as an example. So I went from being in counseling which is historically a very low paying career. So what I was going to make at the high point in counseling is going to be different than what I would make as a consultant to financial services, or I work for the government and there's set salaries. And so that's going to be different. But I think for somebody, um, it's really thinking through what's your value, not what you need to make, not what you have to make, because the company doesn't care. It's what right. value do I provide to the company? How can I help their bottom line? And where am I in my career trajectory in order to be able to ask for that amount? Right. Like they don't care that you want to send your kid to private no, school. They, right? do not they care about the three successful projects you had last year that maybe grew their revenue or decreased their expenses, right? Right. Exactly. And the, and the thing that I encourage a lot of the clients that I work with to do is keep a journal. It's, it's somewhat of a, you know, accomplishment journal where during the year you are writing things down about your impact, depending on, you know, your work uh, situation. So like you just said, I did three projects. It brought in X number of customers or this much uh, revenue, whatever it might be. So to keep track of that over time, because then you can start to frame some stories and share some data with the person you're negotiating with, that's actually going to be from a business perspective. And I think one of the mistakes that I see people making, and I think this happens for men and women, but I would think maybe women more often, and you can let me know what you think, is the idea that, you know, if somebody's nice, they're going to give me a raise. If I do a really good job, I'm going to get more money. That is just not how the business world works. And it it probably is never going to work that way. So it's really, again, going down to what do I bring to this company? What do I bring to this client? And then putting a dollar number on it. And often you need to remember that if you shoot high, that is okay. Because we only negotiate we only negotiate down. We typically don't negotiate up. In other words, if I'm asking for a certain salary, it's very rare that a firm will go, oh, I want 50 grand. And the firm will go, oh, we'll give you 75. 
<laughs> you know, that just doesn't happen either. So, um, you know, err on the side of high and then just, you know, know what your bottom line is. Everybody has a bottom line and sometimes you have to walk away. And I know it's hard, but the more you do that, the more you realize when you walk away, it's often a situation that wouldn't have worked out in the long run anyway. So when people, you said um, that one of the biggest, I guess, mindsets that people have with negotiation is that it's rude. Mm-hmm. How do people overcome that feeling, right? Knowing you can know logically negotiation is the right thing to do. I should aim high. Um, I should do my research. I should know what I'm worth. But when it comes to literally asking, how do they, how do you really start to feel in your heart that it's actually not rude at all? That's a great question. So there's a, a technique that I teach uh, called the wise mind. I didn't create it. It's from Buddhist practices. And it talks about the fact that we have a rational and an emotional mind and that our wise mind decisions are made when we're um, using both parts. So it's really the blend between the two. So if you picture two circles that um, intersect, it's the intersection that's our wise mind. And so what I have people do is think about all the facts about negotiating that particular deal. And then all the emotions around, you know, negotiating that deal. And then thinking about what's the blend between the two, because we can't remove years and years and years of programming. And we certainly shouldn't minimize our emotions to the point where we're kind of robots and only operating from logic. And I think this is where women excel. So it's really that blend between the two. So it may be your rational mind says negotiation is necessary. Your emotional mind says this is going to be a really uncomfortable conversation. And you you go down and there's all these different thoughts. And in the end, you come up with something like negotiation. It, this is going to be very uncomfortable, but negotiation is necessary. So I'm going to do it. So you're honoring both the logic as well as the emotions. And over time, you get better at that. Yeah, that makes sense. And I could see that maybe women would have more of an issue with that. I've, I've talked to my husband here and there over the years that we've been together about negotiating and, and he at at first really truly felt like the gender wage gap was solely related to women not negotiating and he said and he said you know conversely i he feels that when he as a man negotiates the other person then respects him more and thinks that he would be a better business person and a better asset to their company so there's like it's actually there's, an asset <laughs> so there's two reactions to that one is wouldn't it be great if it was only negotiation that women had to do and the the wage gap would close? In some ways, that would be great, but it's an oversimplification, as you know. And also the thing that he's not factoring in, probably because he hasn't experienced it, is that women now negotiate just as much as men, but how we are perceived is different. So- Uh, Even if we're good at it, we are perceived much differently. I actually have a niece that went in to negotiate a job. I coached her a little bit and she went in to negotiate a law firm and she was actually called greedy by the HR person. And I absolutely think that no man at this law firm was called greedy for asking for more money. Right. And she was coached by a wealth psychology expert and still got that. 
Yes, but here's the beauty. Here's the the good part of the story. So she uh, held her ground as much as she could in that first meeting, which another point is negotiation conversations usually aren't one and done. Usually it's a series of conversations. She went back after that experience, after she had calmed down, and she negotiated the pretty much the deal that she wanted. Um, and she then later told me, and this um, was a really nice auntie moment, that she was starting to coach the other women in her firm how to negotiate so they could uh, have a more positive experience. And so that's what we need to do to support each other. And you know, the outcome sometimes isn't great initially, but that doesn't mean you don't keep going up to bat to use a sporting analogy. I often will use a hockey analogy, which is, you know, shots on net. You got to keep taking the shots on net before you score. And so, you know, that's part of what we all need to do. I love the hockey analogy because I'm a Tampa Bay Lightning fan. <laughs> Today's a good day for us. who all played hockey. And that was really <laughs> helpful in my entrepreneur years. There was something else about what your husband said. So he said that, um, that he was an asset. Can you remind me? He said he was an asset to the firm. Yeah. He said, you know, if he's willing to basically negotiate when taking a job over his own salary, that's the kind of person that that company wants working for them. Oh, so that's what it was. Thank you. It was respect. And often, uh, and I, I understand it's more complicated for many women, but often people do respect you when you're able to calmly negotiate have a conversation and hold your ground. Um, and what I find is that the more comfortable I get with having the conversations and explaining why my fee is the way it is, why I'm asking for what I'm asking, that I do get respect. And while they can't always say yes, maybe they go have to go talk to somebody else, uh, maybe they have to go find money and come back, or maybe they have to pass, that it is often left with mutual respect. And so I think that's where your husband probably got it right. Mm -hmm. And where, how, my understanding also, and I've, I've seen this with my husband is he negotiated, he's negotiated every job he's had, but even that first one right out of college, he negotiated, I think 10% higher. Right. And then, then he took another job and it was a, obviously they were going to give him a raise from what he was making at his prior company. And then he negotiated on top of that. And he's done that like multiple times at this point. So um, it just seems really important to me that you negotiate early on in your career. And if you don't, that it seems to me like it just it just adds up over time and almost snowballs. It does snowball. There's one statistic out there that if women don't negotiate their first job, that over the course of their career, they will be somewhat like half a million dollars um, make half a million dollars less. So $500,000 less. And so I don't want anybody listening in to freak out if you haven't negotiated your first job. Um, but it is an important skill to learn and to think about asking. And so the other thing that I think is important is I never, I didn't even know you negotiated a job. I mean, I got my job out of college. I was taught 
I, I wasn't taught anything about negotiation. I learned most of it from my husband, who has a sales background and a great way about him. And I learned a lot about negotiating when we were buying furniture for our first apartment. So it became kind of this fun exercise. So you don't have to start with the most scary negotiation. He would look at me and he'd go, do you want that coffee table? And I'd be like, I do want that coffee table. He goes, act like you want the other one. And I'm like, what? He goes, you're going to play the bad guy and act like you want the other one. And so, you know, it was harmless. And we ended up getting a great deal on the coffee table that I wanted. And what I learned over time watching him and doing this together is, first of all, it can be kind of fun if you're not attached to the results. I know that's hard with salary and fees and income, uh, but it also, you know, that that message you grew up with that it never hurts to ask is something I learned from him. Um, you know, a phrase that he taught me and I've used it. I don't always use it, but I've used it and I always get something is, is there anything else you can do for me? And and inevitably somebody hands me something, extra equipment with my cell phone, an additional discount, a free class, a free book. It's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, and I, I like that you said it can be fun. Um, the, the house that my husband, and I just purchased, it had a lot of furniture already in it. And some of it wasn't right. And so we've been doing a lot of used furniture shopping and used furniture selling. And it is amazing. We negotiate everything. Every time we go somewhere, people that have been buying from us, it's rare that they negotiate with us. It is interesting, isn't it? And I think it really, if we could do research on it, I really think it probably has to do with what their negotiation mindset is when they think it's is okay to negotiate? Because one of the things is like, if you went in and negotiated at an antique shop, uh, that is kind of this acceptable thing to do in our society. Uh, If you went into a restaurant downtown Manhattan and negotiated your meal price, that is something we don't do. So there's also that cultural expectation in different areas of our life. Um, do you have any sense of, is it more men or women that don't negotiate for the furniture or is it couples? It, it seems like a, a wash to me, yeah. honestly. Yep. And it, it just blows my mind. There's been multiple times where he's like, I would have sold that for less. I'm like, me too. I would have, you know, I had it listed at 250. I would have taken 200. I had it listed at hundred. I would have taken 80. That's happened repeatedly to us in this situation. So, and some of that is, it is kind of fun for us. We do play off of each other. Like it sounds like you and your husband do. And I think it is, I think it might be even a good little, almost a homework assignment for listeners, right? Look for an opportunity to negotiate that is pretty low stakes and get yourself a win and get yourself some momentum so that you're more confident to do it again later. Yes. I love that action step. One of the things I always say is pick something that's the least scary thing to do. So it could be going to buy furniture from somebody that's used. It could be, um, you know, you are at a craft fair and you decide, well, I really like this, but if I don't get it, I'm going to just see if she'll give it to me a little bit less. Uh, it could be a variety of things. And mm-hmm. and it isn't, I mean, I know you know this, but I want people to make sure they know this, that in in having fun with it, it's like learning a skill and, and developing a lightheartedness around it that allows you to be less attached to the result. And when you're less attached to the result in any negotiation, you do better. So when I walk into a negotiation as a businesswoman, if I think I have to get this, I have to get this contract, I have to get this contract, 
then I tend to be less effective. If I go in and say, I really want this contract, but you know what? Here's what I'm going to ask for. Here's my bottom line. I actually write it on a piece of paper, so I hold true to that. And then if I have to walk away, it's, you know, it's like, well, you did the best you could. So I think it's, um, you know, it's tricky to do, especially in times where we're having, you know, a lot of economic uh, instability, but how you go into that negotiation and that mindset, again, really important. Right. So it's, it's, I think it's a really good point to examine yourself first not just go straight out there and start to learn negotiation tactics and techniques, right? Do an inventory of yourself and figure out how, what is my, you know, money mindset? What is my negotiation mindset? And I love what you said about, you know, write down the, you know, the logical ways that you're thinking and the emotional ways that you're thinking, and then combine them, sit with them before you enter negotiation and I like um, what you said about writing something on a piece of paper because that's like what they say. Um, you come, you make a decision at a time of strength, right? So it's like, I don't know. It's like I always say this, eating before you go to the grocery store, right? Don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry because then you're not going to be making good decisions. Don't walk into a negotiation without knowing what your bottom line is. Because then you might, you know, take less than you otherwise would have. Yeah, prepare, preparing is really key. And I think you're right that we are emotionally in a stronger place before we pick up that phone and have that negotiation. The other tool that I want to leave people with is also, it's okay to say, let me think about it. I have done so many negotiations that have been successful when in the moment, and sometimes before I even make the call, I decide not to decide. And usually people will give you a day or two. And if they don't, then, you know, again, that may not be somebody you want to work with. And I find if I say, you know, let me sleep on it. I really want to make sure that when I make a commitment, I follow through. And can I get back to you, you know, on Monday? And that strategy works too. It allows you to get out of that immediate negotiation, allows you to emotionally calm down or get back to your wise mind and for you to think it through, and you don't have to answer right away. If you are of value and they are respecting you, they will wait. You're not asking them to wait forever. You're asking them to wait maybe 24 hours, 48 hours. You know That's not that much. Yeah, I've done that on the furniture thing too. And this is different than negotiating a salary because negotiating a salary, there's probably people on the other side of the table that negotiate these things often. Sometimes with furniture, it's not the case. These are not professional negotiators, but I'll say, all right, let me think about it or let me talk to my husband or let me let me measure again or you know whatever it is. And then they'll throw out another number that's lower. <laughs> it, it's interesting. I did that the other day. I just didn't get back to an email and within uh, 12 hours, they upped my fee. And I think they thought, which was not the case, she wants more. And I just really was busy. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, I actually said to my husband, I said, I just got more money by like not responding. And I'm a pretty quick responder. He goes, mm-hmm. see, prosti- pro- uh, procrastination can work. <laughs> the other thing I'll say about HR people, though, and people who are negotiating salaries for companies, they often will share with me that they really want people to do the negotiation because they know that what they're offering you is 
probably the, you know, low or mid range and they have a little room to move. And often they're frustrated, especially women in HR are frustrated mm-hmm. when other women don't ask because they're like, oh, they left money on the table, but it's not my job to tell them that. Right. And it's not their money that they're paying you. Right. They just want the company to get the employee that they want. They want uh, to do a good job. So I'm sure they, you know, they can't go crazy with what, um, you know, you're asking. But by and large, they want you to be successful in that negotiation. So uh, just know that when you walk into the room, that it's not an enemy sitting there. It's somebody that really wants to fill a position, really wants to make sure that you progress in the company. And then whatever they say, use it as data. Okay, you know, now is not a time to give me a raise or that amount isn't going to work. You know, what would have to shift and change in my performance in the next six months for it to for us to then agree on that number and then really get very specific as to what the metrics are and what's happening. And and also know that sometimes the person you're negotiating with has somebody else to answer to. So they may very much want to give you what you're asking for, but don't have the power to do so. Right. Great points. Um, Is there anything else that you want to leave the listeners with? Dare to ask. I think every single person out there should think about a money conversation. It may be around negotiation. It may be around something else that you've been putting off. And it doesn't, it could be a small one and just dare to ask. And the next month say, I'm going to have one small money conversation I wouldn't have had before I listened to this podcast. Because if every single one of us did that, we would actually break money silence for good. And that ultimately is my mission. Absolutely. I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing um, and for joining us today. Everybody managing money, huge part of adulting and knowing the importance of and psychology behind negotiation is indeed a part of of money management. I learned so much today and um, I think I'm going to I'm going to do your homework. I'm going to take that and I'm going to try to have one one money conversation in the next month that I've been thinking about. I don't know what it would be because normally I do talk about it, but I bet even with me, there's one. So Kathleen, would you like to tell people how they can connect with you? I'll also put this information into the show notes. Sure. I would love to share the resources that I have. Um, The best website to go to is breakingmoneysilence.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on that uh, website. You can also check out my latest book, Uh, There's money talk tips you can sign up for, you know, so many of this uh, free resources. And I just developed a breaking money silence learning lab specifically for women entrepreneurs and women career professionals. So you can actually go to breakingmoneysilence.com and go to the learning lab tab and check out the free course. And if you want to sign up for the paid course, which talks specifically about your negotiation mindset and offers five key skills to negotiating, um, because you listen to this podcast, I'll give you a code, Negotiate10, to get 10% off. So I think it might be a worthy investment to check out. But if you're not up for spending any money, just know I put a lot of free stuff out there as well. Right. And then they'll learn so much that they will have money to spend after. Nice reframe. I love that. (laughs) 
So again, I'll put that information in the show notes. Um, thanks again, Kathleen, for joining. Hey, everyone, you know, you can follow me on Twitter at adulting is easy. I'm also on Facebook. You can email me at realadultingiseasy at gmail.com and show support at patreon.com slash adulting is easy. Hey, everyone, thanks again for listening. And hopefully we've made adulting a little easier for you.